Okay, Exodus 10.3. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said to him, This is what the Lord, the God of Hebrews, says. How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Deuteronomy 8.16. God gave you, that is the Israelite people, manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that it may end and go well with you. Isaiah 2.14. The arrogance of man will be brought low and human pride humbled. The Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Second Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Psalm 139.1-4. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Knowing us completely, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 5, 8. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being fond in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is, above ev that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Luke fourteen eleven. All those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. James four ten. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Uh, Back has some prayer, please. It could, uh, Father, we thank you for the gift of your word and for your clear instruction and your gracious patience. Spirit, please help each of us to listen, to understand, and to seek and obey your word. In your name we pray, amen. Thank you, Jacob and Kayla, for reading God's word for us this morning. I, um, I hope as you were listening, you noticed a theme in those verses that were being read. And the theme, so anybody want to take a guess? What was the theme? Humble, you got it. Yes, the theme of those verses was uh, humility, and that's that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. That's um, what this sermon will be about. What I want you all to be reflecting on. And I, there was something interesting recently. I had a friend who um, they gave this kind of comical advice or counsel, and they it was something like this. Uh, he said, "You know." Um, uh, humility is something you don't need to seek. If you pay attention, it will find you. And, and, and I thought about that, and so I, I thought of some examples uh, of that in life. And I, and I thought, okay, yeah, I remember when I went to take my written driver's uh, test examination, and, um, and I wasn't seeking humility, but <laughs> it found me. I'm whistling a little bit, so I'm going to back up and see if that helps. Um, so, you know, I, I think of other times, um, 
Let's see, when I was a senior in high school, and the fall of my senior year in high school, I had great aspirations of being an incredible basketball player. Um, so I remember going to two colleges and trying out for their college team. And on those visits, I was not seeking humility. <laughs> but goodness, did it find me. I, I think, you know, even more recently, I think of going through the whole process of being ordained in the EPC and going through the first round of oral examinations. And again, I was not seeking humility, but it found me. So when you think about humility as a characteristic, humility is difficult. We, it's not enjoyable per se, but humility is a difficult thing. And it's pretty central, I believe, to our living as a follower of Jesus. So while it's true that um, oftentimes humility will find us, I, I think as people who are following the scriptures, uh, it's important for us to seek biblical humility. So based on the passages that we listened to moments ago, biblical humility is um, recognizing who God is and who we are. So what I want to do this morning is really just have a, um, a reflection on who God is and who we are as we think about biblical humility. And, and I'll talk about just four application points that grow out of those passages that Jacob and Kayla read for us. So the first application point is recognize God. And it sounds pretty simple, but, but let's think about that. The, the Bible teaches that God created the heavens and the earth. So he created everything. And then in Psalm 19, verse 1 through 4, and I'll, and I'll pause right here. I am going to, Jacob and Kayla set the, uh, the example already, and they read from a number of different scriptures. This morning, I'm going to be hopping around and reading from a bunch of different texts. And so if you are a student, um, if you're especially an elementary school student in this room, a great way for you to stay engaged this morning is every time I mention a passage, I want you to um, write it down and then go find it in your Bible. If, 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 you, if you don't have your Bible with you, um, then I want you to write it down. And what I want you to do, families, is when your children come home this morning with this list of Bible references that they've written down, I want you sometime in the next week to read all of those together. Okay? So that's children going to help you stay engaged. Adults, you're welcome to do that as well. Um, so the first one, Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4 the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. So this idea that, that um, not only has God created everything, but everything that he's created then um, burst forth in praise and giving glory to this creator God. We, we read in Revelation about God's holiness. There's a passage in Revelation 4, verse 8, the second half of it, where um, there's these living creatures that are described in heaven. And day and night, they never stop calling out 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And they never stop saying that. And we have this picture of, for these, for these um, uh, beings in heaven, the appropriate response as they recognize the full-on glory of God, the appropriate response to that is there are, they are proclaiming his holiness um, for eternity. So I think about, you know, an appropriate response. Um, you know, I always think to my wife's cooking. She, she fixed uh, this chicken barbecue stromboli the other day that everyone in our family, we were just loving it. And the, the crust was homemade, so it was the perfect amount of a little bit crispy, a little bit soft. And um, so we're eating this, and it's the appropriate response is to say, Amanda, this is delicious. Oh, this is so good. Um, so... We might say that a few times throughout the meal. Um, if we repeated that over and over and over and over and over again, um, you, that it would get old. It would be kind of a disproportionate response. I mean, there, the stromboli was great, and the appropriate response is, you know, to say a few times how wonderful this is. Thank you. Um, so then I put in perspective, if, if the appropriate response to the holiness of God is an eternity of these heavenly beings calling out his holiness, that, I mean, that just gives me this new, new vision of how very holy he is. So we think about his holiness. We think about um, God. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. There's a few scriptures I want to read for you. One comes from Psalm 139. When we think about him being all-knowing, this, this passage says it's the psalmist calling out. He says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Isaiah uh, 40, verses 12 through 14, points to this. Isaiah writes, um, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket, or weighed the mountains on the scales, and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Who did the Lord consult to enlighten him, or and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? We read these passages and we see this, the power and the, the knowledge of God. He knows everything. He's all-knowing. He is all-powerful. Then we, we look back at Psalm 139 and we see he is not only all-knowing and all-powerful, but he is uh, all-present. Uh, where can I go in verses 139 uh, 7 through 10, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Not only is he present wherever we go, but somehow he's also transcendent in that he is, in a sense, he is outside of time. He, but, but while being outside of time, he is imminent and he is right here with us in this 
moment. So in his holiness and omniscience, he, he knows everything that I'm going to say. He knows everything that I'm thinking. He has the power to, with a word, speak into an existence, a, a universe. In his omniscience, in his omnipresence, he's both sitting right here with us, and he's both right here with me, and he's right there with you. This is an all-knowing, all-present God. So I think then, you know, uh, what would it be like if I just picture this, this God who, who creates such awe that the heavenly beings would be praising him day and night for eternity, this all-knowing, all-present, um, all-powerful God. If he was sitting right here, part of this conversation, um, how would I feel in his presence? In, in comparison to him, how would I feel? How would you feel? Do you feel um, powerful? I think I, as I look at who God is and all the awe that, that Scripture describes uh, of him, I feel weak. I feel small as I think about who this God is. You know, and I think the reality is, um, as I picture who he is, who I am, I, I think I, I should I should be willing to do whatever he wants. I should submit to him. And I think that's really the, a, a first right step into biblical hu humility. Recognize God and humbly submit. We see who he is and we see who we are. And that's part of what it means to see who he is and who I am. If I'm honest about that, part of that is humbly submitting to him. So what does it look like to submit to God? He's given us this revelation of himself and his ways through his word. He gives us in, in the Ten Commandments, they, um, they for us, they reveal uh, his heart and his way. We, we keep going after the Ten Commandments and uh, the first five books of the Bible, uh, as they outline the law, that reveals his heart and his way. We go into history and the prophets, and they reveal his heart and his way. We look at the Gospels and then the letters that the disciples wrote, and, and they reveal his heart and his way. So how do I submit? How do I know how to submit to this God? I, I look into the word that he has revealed to me. I get to know his word, his heart and his way through his word, and I, I submit to that. So the question is, well, well is it easy? Um, no, it's not easy to submit to his word. We, we talked last week about the, the pain that can come in discipleship, the cost of discipleship, whether it's the way that others are um, responding to how you follow the Lord or, um, or, or the reality that you are in this um, inner battle with your sinful nature. Uh, as you follow the Lord, there's, there's pain. There's cost in that. It's not easy. But the question then is, is it reasonable, right, and necessary for me, given who I am, to submit to God? Is it reasonable, right, and necessary? 
So I think about um, my children when they were younger. Um, they're so incredibly mature right now. They've grown past being two and four. They're now six and nine and 11. But when, when they were two and four, um, you know, I can, I can picture these scenarios when they would get fixated on something like a ladder, um, a tall ladder or a saw that I was using. And they would really want to, to climb that ladder and to use that saw. And, and they would get so fixated on it that um, they would get pretty upset about my not allowing them to climb that ladder or use that saw. And from their two- or four-year-old perspective, it was, it was unfair. It was not right for their father to, um, to, to not allow them to do that. But, but here's what I think. The, the reality is, and we know this from our perspective, it was ridiculous, it is ridiculous for that two to four-year-old to fight with their parent about their being allowed to climb a tall ladder or use a saw. That fight is ridiculous. But then, you know, then I think about us. Is there any similar ways that we are putting up the same fight with our Heavenly Father? A kind of ridiculous fight where we should be submitting to our all-knowing, all-powerful God, but from our two- to four-year-old perspective, I, I say, you know what? I want to use my sexual, sexual expression how I want to use it. I don't want to listen to you, God. I want to use my money how I want to use it. Um, I want to use my time how I want to use it. Me, as a finite being with a two- to four-year-old perspective, don't I know better than you, God, who is infinite, all-knowing, and all-powerful? And, and that's honestly, if we put it that way, we realize there's, it's a bit ridiculous for us to fight with this God as we recognize who he is. Yet, in our sinful nature, we do. So the first thing that I want to point out, if you believe in what the Bible teaches about God, then to recognize God is to humbly submit to him. So that's the first point I want to press. Recognize God and humbly submit to him. That's the first part of biblical humility. The second part is this, recognize Jesus. One of the passages that I think Kayla read was uh, Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, uh, where we read about um, Christ being in very nature God, did not consider um, equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. So Jesus humbled himself in this incredibly lowly way. He came to earth and he died on a cross. So think, you know, about uh, Jesus walking on earth with us. Jesus, in, in all of the, the fullness of, of the power and the knowledge of God, puts on human flesh and walks for 30-some years on earth with us, being mistreated, being misunderstood. Think about the humility that it would have been for him to willingly take on such restrictions and and walk on earth with his creation for 30-some years as they don't recognize him. That would have been an incredibly humbling experience. Then not only is he mistreated and he's misunderstood, but he, he then walks into the end of his earthly life being whipped and beaten and executed in one of the most humiliating ways imaginable. Jesus washed his disciples' feet as a beautiful illustration of the message that he was living 
saying, I have humbled myself in these kinds of ways. You, my disciples, my followers, go and do likewise. Live in a humble way. Biblical humility is to recognize Jesus and humbly serve. So then I ask myself, well, how how am I humbly serving others? How am I humbly displaying the love of Christ through my serving others? You know, what about a, a friend? Um, when, what happens when my friend or maybe my sibling wants the thing, the best thing, the best seat, the first choice, whatever that is, children in here, the, the fight for the biggest dessert and the best seat in the car, I know that can be an intense thing. All right, parents, parents say yes. Um, so humbly serving, like Jesus humbly served, would be letting your friend, your sibling, take that best seat, that biggest piece of dessert. So what about your spouse? Um, Adults, we're not off the hook on this. How are we humbly serving our spouse? This starts in such small ways and it gives us practice for the much greater things. When's the last time your spouse asked you to run an errand for them in the midst of a very busy day and it was an errand that you didn't feel like doing? How did you respond to that? When was the last time that you were sitting on the couch and um, you, you thought, you know, I, I, my, my uh, wife needs help with this. Um, should I get up from my incredibly relaxed position after my long, stressful day and fix her a snack or go get something for her? Um, there's, there's so many things that husband and wife, you can be doing to humbly serve one another rather than taking the choice to just to, to live and do your own comfortable thing. So biblical humility is to recognize Jesus and humbly serve. So the third application point that I want to press is this, recognize yourself. All right, in Genesis 1, we, we see that God, he is creator, and we are therefore the created ones. Isaiah 40 that we looked at earlier, um, if you look in verse 22, uh, It says this, Isaiah 40, verse 22, He, that is God, sits enthroned above the circle of the earth, and its people are like grasshoppers. So just again, this this picture of the greatness and the size and the power of God, and we, by comparison, are, are very small. So as I recognize myself, I recognize that, that we are created and we are weak. Isaiah 53, 6 will tell us more. It says something like, as, as um, we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has, has gone his own way. That is, we have rebelled against the great shepherd. We have gone and done our own thing. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So not only are we weak and we are created, but we are broken and we are rebellious. Okay, there's a lot of, lot of true but hard things about us. But here's, here's where it gets great. Psalm 139, as we read already, the first four verses of that chapter talks about, says, God, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit, you know when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. So we get this picture of this God who knows us and which makes this next verse even more amazing. The God who knows us then can say, 
what this promise in John 3.16 says, that many of you know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So God knows you. There's some good things about you, but there's a lot of crummy things about you. Knowing you, the good and the crummy, he decided to offer such an incredible love to you. He goes on in verse, uh, 1 John uh, chapter 3, verse 1, to say, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. So not only are we created and weak, broken and rebellious, but we are known, saved, and loved. Known, saved, and loved. So when you recognize yourself, recognize your brokenness, weakness, your fallenness, but recognize also that you are known, saved, and loved by an all-powerful, all-knowing creator God. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, which I believe uh, David is going to preach on next week and will become a, a significant focus for us throughout this year. Um, it's a passage where Paul is praying for believers, and he says, um, you being rooted and established in love, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Jesus, so that that love may fill you to the measure of all the fullness of God. And, and we see here God empowering us by his spirit. We are empowered by God and protected by God. So biblical humility has this incredible dual result where it gets us in touch with our brokenness, our weakness, our, our frailty. And while at the same time, it connects us to a God who fills our, our small, weak frame, fills it with an extraordinary amount of his power and love, his forgiveness, his purpose, his strength. This is an incredible truth that equips us to recognize yourself and live confidently. We live confidently, not a confidence in us, but a confidence in him, in who he is and in what he has done. A confidence that builds in us an identity in Christ, a self-esteem that can stand strong in the midst of a peer who insults us or a coworker who ignores us or an acquaintance who it seems like they don't like us. Your identity is grounded rock solid in the acceptance of a holy, all-knowing, all-powerful God who pours this love into you. I don't, I don't want to just glaze over the, the potential hurt of, of insults and, and being ignored and being disliked. Those, those things are difficult, and, and they cause wounds in us. That, that are significant wounds, deep wounds, to some extent deep wounds that can only be outmatched, outdone, or healed by this reality of the truth and the promises and the power that an all-knowing, all-loving God is willing to pour into us. The truth that my heavenly Father knows me, loves me, and has the power and will to pick my wounded, weak self up from wherever I am that, that, and bring me to this place of healing and confidence that is practically unfathomable. That is what we're living in when we're acknowledging who God uh, is and what he's offering to us. Biblical humility is not a lack of confidence, 
but it's really a shift of confidence. I'm no longer fighting and flailing to show you all how great I am. Because, because I'm not, and I'm ready to own, I am not. We are all, none of us are that great. But what we're owning then is we are connected to the one who is great. I think about this, this heavenly father, the, the one that we're connected with, the one who is great, the one who in, in the heavenly realms has uh, heavenly creatures proclaiming day and night how holy he is. Part of biblical humility is to recognize yourself, your broken, fallen, sinful, known, loved, and, and pursued self, and to live confidently in Christ. The last uh, application point that I want to mention is this. So, so we've gone through, let's see, recognize God and humbly submit. Recognize uh, Jesus and humbly serve. We recognize ourselves and we live confidently. And then lastly, we recognize others. There's a passage in Matthew 9, 36, where Jesus is going through towns and villages and he's teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the word of God and, and he's healing people all, all over the place. And then it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked out. He saw people for who they were. He saw their weakness, their frailty. He saw them and he acted compassionately towards them. When in my humility, I recognize my weakness and my neediness, it makes sense then for me to pause and realize that, that this same weakness and neediness is true of all of my fellow human beings. We're all in the same boat. None of us is more or less worthy of God's love. You know, it's, it's one thing to say that, but, but when I really believe it, when I really believe that none of us is more or less worthy than, of God's love, then I begin to see you all differently. We begin to see people differently. You know, our sinful nature looks at others with judgment and contempt, concluding how much better they are than us or how much better we are than them. And, and our sinful nature, it's incredible the, um, how quickly we make a judgment of people as we, just, as we glance at them or as we walk by them, and we quickly judge how we compare to them in physical appearance, in amount of um, uh, success, in how popular. I mean, we, we have conclusion in a split second. And that is the sinful nature in us doing that. Whether it's our pride or self-pity, our sinful nature serves as a poor lens through which we see others. When we recognize them as who they really are, as people in need of God's love and grace, just as we are, not our comparison point of, you know, how we are ahead or behind them in, the, in this game of life. But when we recognize them as broken people just as we are, then we see and feel God's compassion for them. Biblical humility leads me to recognize others and act compassionately. So I see people, my fellow brothers and sisters, in need, and, and then I, I pray that the Holy Spirit, as, as we recognize people in need, that you hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and you know how to move into their life and act compassionately. 
You know, I think of um, examples, we've talked so much in the last year about the people along your route, the people that you interact with on a daily basis, um, recognizing who they really are and their need for love and compassion is, is to, um, to slow down and to acknowledge them, to, to be asking the spirit in the moment, how do, do you want me to show love and compassion to this person? I think of um, it, uh, Shalom for the City and all that um, that part of our covenant ministry is doing to reach out to uh, children, at-risk children in our community. I encourage you to go to our website at covenantepc.org, uh, and if you go to backslash ministries, backslash um, Shalom for the City, uh, look up the opportunities at Shalom for the City for you to get involved to help at-risk children in our community. There are kids all over our community who need love and compassion. There are oppressed and weak and hurting people of all ages all over our community who need love and compassion. There are people filled, this room is filled with us who need acts of love and compassion. And that's not simply our love and compassion, but it's the love and compassion of Jesus displayed through our acts for each other. Biblical humility is recognizing God for who he is and who we are. He is creator and we are created. He is powerful and we are needy. So quick review, and then we're going to close in some response to the Lord. We recognize God and humbly submit. We recognize Jesus and humbly serve. We recognize uh, ourselves and we live confidently. And we recognize others and we act compassionately. I want to end in prayer in a moment, and then after I pray, then we're actually, that's when we're going to take the offering and have just a time of reflection. Um, As you are reflecting on the offering, that is your posture of offering your life to the Lord, whether that's that's uh, often that means that you're uh, a portion of your money, but it also is thinking of a portion of your life, offering your life to the Lord. So I encourage you as we're taking the offering and having this time for you to be reflecting on God. How am I responding to who you are and who I am? And after we have that time of reflection, then we're going to close in singing two more songs as we respond to the Lord. But let me pray, and then we'll have some time for reflection. Father, you are holy, all-knowing, all-powerful. You love and pursue us. Father, as we think about um, what we've celebrated in this last month in Advent, we've celebrated your gift of your coming, Jesus, as we reflect on your coming as a baby into this world for the incredible thing that you intended to do. Father, I pray that we would respond well to your incredible gift. In your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.